are you doing? Are you coping effectively or are you doing things that are designed to undermine effective coping? So join me to learn more about seven coping skills that actually work. What does it mean to love and work well? And how do I pursue what truly matters? Working at the intersection of business and psychology, I help you answer these questions and more so you can focus priorities, inspire change, lead with courage, and live with more joy today. Hi, I'm Dr. Melissa Smith. Welcome to the Pursue What Matters podcast, where we focus on what it takes to thrive in love and work. So I have spent my life as a psychologist talking about coping skills, and it seems like no one is listening. <laughs> listening. So no one wants to hear about coping skills. It's really true. They don't. Everyone assumes that the key to greater happiness and well-being must be more complicated than simple coping skills. They're looking for grand insights, major patterns, and you know, sometimes that happens, but that is not what's going to make the difference in uh, greater well-being. It's really going to be around coping skills. So we tend to underestimate the power of coping skills while engaging in activities that might actually be undermining effective coping. And then we wonder why we continue to feel lousy. So let's not let this happen to you. So, you know, occasionally I like to do some um, podcasts on coping skills because they're just that important and we need a refresher. Um, the the other point that I want to start with is a very basic truth, and hopefully we all know this. Life is hard. Life will always be challenging. Um, it is the nature of the endeavor we are engaged in. But I think sometimes we fail to appreciate this truth that life is hard. Um, we assume if life is hard that we're doing something wrong, um, that we're a failure, that we're not good enough, strong enough, smart enough, whatever. And I just want to kick that thought to the curb. Um, life is challenging. It will always be challenging. And I think when we can, uh, right, I'm not trying to ruin your day with that thought or anything like that, but I think um, being very clear about that reality helps you to take coping more seriously. It helps you to be proactive instead of assuming that like you're a superman or superwoman and, um, and that coping is for weak individuals. Coping is for all of us. Um, so, you know, even though life is hard, it doesn't have to undo you. And that's where coping skills come in. They are designed to help strengthen you so that you can face the challenges of life. Stressors will come and they will require you to rise to challenges. And rising requires recovery, right? You can't keep pushing forever. You need to recover, reset. And coping skills are designed to help you recover from facing life's challenges. And when done consistently, these skills help you increase resilience, which is awesome. Resilience means that you get better at facing challenges. You get better at coping with stress and you have greater health and well-being as a result. So it's all about coping skills. I'm going to keep talking about coping skills because they're just that important. And so every week with the podcast, my goal is to help you pursue what matters by strengthening your confidence to lead in one of three areas. So first, leading with clarity, connecting you to purpose, 
What are you doing and why does it matter? Second, leading with curiosity, building self-awareness and self-reflection so you can lead yourself and others more effectively, and then leading and building a community. And so today, primarily, we're really helping you lead with curiosity by building in some commitment to coping skills. Coping skills are designed to help us become more aware of our experience. Now, sometimes we don't want to be aware because it's distressful or, you know, we have some things that we need to work through, but we're designed to be self-aware. We're designed to be able to respond to the cues that we're getting um, from our mind and our body. And that's important. It's an important way that we keep ourselves um, healthy and strong in life. And so I want to start, before we jump into the seven seven coping skills, I want to talk about the difference between true comfort and counterfeit comfort. So I came across this idea in some of the Dare to Lead curriculum um, from a certified Dare to Lead facilitator. And I think it's a great way to think about um, coping is that, you know, we want true comfort, right? Like we want to help ourselves, but sometimes the activities that we set out to do um, in order to help ourselves cope and to give ourselves comfort are actually counterfeit comfort. They're not designed to actually help us cope more effectively. And so the problem is that too many of us are engaging in counterfeit comfort instead of true comfort. So let's talk about the difference there. So true comfort include coping behaviors that, you know, done in moderation lead to feelings of contentment, relief, connection, and calm. The key word when it comes to true comfort is moderation. Um, We could have too much of a good thing. And that's where we really look at counterfeit comfort. So these are behaviors or activities that represent too much of a good thing. Counterfeit comfort is often designed to numb our physical and emotional sensations. Um, And and we turn to numbing behaviors um, when we feel overwhelmed or emotionally upset, right? Many of us were taught that, um, that emotions are a bad thing or there's something that you shouldn't share and that you just need to like shut it down. And that's what happens with numbing behaviors when we just have too much of a good thing. So too much of alcohol or social media scrolling or binge watching TV or too much food, right? So the thing about counterfeit comfort, it makes me sad because we are setting out to try to help ourselves feel better. But these too much of a good thing activities end up undermining our coping and leave us with heightened distress. So we're trying to help ourselves, but we only make it worse because these behaviors, this too much of a good thing, this numbing doesn't actually help us to work through the upset or the stress or um, the distressful emotions. And so we have a pile up of concerns. And so right, the net result of that is that we have heightened distress, which leads us running to those numbing behaviors even more over time. So you can see it turns into a pretty vicious cycle if you're not careful. And so I want to share with you seven coping skills that bring true comfort, right? And remember with true comfort, these are behaviors, activities that are done in moderation. They lead to feelings of contentment, relief, connection, and calm. And so these are seven skills that have a really strong evidence base in the research. That's why I'm sharing these ones with you. I'm pretty sure I've shared these before, um, but they're really important to have 
have reminders and refreshers about these. Um, I am a zealot about coping skills, but I forget about coping. Um, and it's not until like I'm feeling pretty distressed that I'm like, oh yeah, <laughs> I need to go to my coping skills. I've gotten better at just being proactive and making sure that coping skills are part of my schedule. But I think the, the point is you need to be intentional um, because these won't just happen. And it's easy for coping skills to get pushed to the sidelines um, with some of the demands of life. So let's jump in and start with our first coping skill, which is balanced movement or exercise, right? So this is um, physical activity and it is what tells your brain you have successfully survived a threat and now your body is a safe place to live, right? Because life is challenging, there's gonna be stressors um, and physical activity really helps to downshift the stress response in our body. Um, from the Nagoski sisters, this is from the great book, Burnout, which I will link to in the podcast. Um, they said physical activity is the single most efficient strategy for completing the stress response cycle. So if you think about the stress response, it is a full body response. You have a huge surge of, um, of adrenaline hormones coursing through your body. And so if we're thinking about stress coping and lowering um, that physiological response, we need a full body response. And that's why balanced movement is the single most efficient because it harnesses the whole body and it really helps to communicate that safety so that those stress hormones lower um, so that you can move forward um, with, with less of that stress response in place. And so the first skill is balanced movement. Now let's head to number two, which is social connection. So we're social animals. We are wired for connection and um, it's it's something that we need for our health and well-being. So social connection, meaningful relationships is not just a bonus. It's not just a nice thing. It is a requirement for um, health, happiness, and well-being. So I want to share a quote from the journal Social Relationships and Public Health. Um, when I came across this, it was just, whew, it really stood out to me because it's pretty significant. And that is a robust body of scientific evidence indicates that being embedded in a high quality close in high quality close relationships and feeling socially connected to the people in your life is associated with decreased risk for all cause mortality as well as a range of disease morbidities. And so, what does this mean? It's pretty profound. So, this means if you were to go to your medical provider for a health concern, if that medical provider is aware of the research, which we certainly hope they are, uh, he or she would be just as likely to ask you about the strength of your relationships as they would be to prescribe you a medication. So social connection is that important. And it's not just any social connection, but these embedded in high quality, close relationships. Um, and so a lot of those relationships happen at work. We want to make sure we're supporting that, um, of course, in our families, in our neighborhoods, in our other communities. Um, and so it's it's that important. And then now let's head to our third coping skill, which is affection, which is also tied to social connection, but physical touch. Um 
welcome physical touch um, helps to fuel, is fueled by oxytocin. So oxytocin is a stress hormone, but it is a stress hormone that helps us. It heals us. It actually conveys protective benefits. So when we receive welcome physical touch, say a pat on the shoulder, a hug, a fist bump, um, those things raise our oxytocin level, um, which convey health benefits, right? So it also helps to lower the stress response in our body. Now, if you didn't have someone around for appropriate physical touch, you could hug yourself, you would get the same effect. And so there's been research on that, that when even when we hug ourselves, we have an increase in that oxytocin, which helps us to cope. So affection helps us to soothe, it helps us to calm down. It also validates our experiences, and it helps us to know that we are safe. It helps us to know that we are seen. Um, So this happened for me a while ago. I was telling a friend, you know, about some difficulties that I had experienced and she's very wise. And she said a lot of very wise words and it was very helpful. But when we ended that conversation, she gave me a hug and it was so soothing for me. It was so helpful. And as I've thought about that experience was not, which was not too long ago what stands out to me is the hug right and i know that that is affection in action um it it helps us to soothe it helps us to be seen and validated and it's powerful we don't want to underestimate the importance of that right there's a reason that when kiddos get hurt they want to go to their mom or their dad for comfort and soothing and what do we do we hug them you know we pat them on the back we help them to know that they're okay and that's important for us too with the challenges that we're facing. So now let's talk about the fourth coping skill, which is laughing. So how's that? Like we're prescribing laughter. It is a powerful coping skill. So when we laugh together or even reminiscing about times you've laughed with others, it increases our relationship satisfaction. So we're not just talking about socially polite laughter. We're talking about deep belly laughs. So this is also from the book Burnout, and it's quoted by Sophie Scott, um, who is a researcher. When we laugh, we use an ancient evolutionary system that mammals have evolved to make and maintain social bonds and regulate emotions. So think about that. When we laugh with others, whether that's like with a YouTube video or with a friend or family member, we strengthen social bonds, we regulate emotions, and it helps us to integrate big emotions. So one of the things that um, one of my sons and I love to do is we love to read the headlines on a satire um, news outlet. And that's just kind of our thing. And we sit together, we sit side by side, and we have those deep belly laughs. And it's so great. I absolutely love it. And I would say it's a big, (laughs) it's a big contributor to maintaining social bonds because right, like he's a teenager and I'm a mom. And so sometimes we don't always see eye to eye. Um, But that activity, we do it maybe once a week, a couple times a week. It's so, it's so fun. And we just, we both, I think, look forward to it. He might not admit that, but I think he does. Um, So that is our fourth coping skill, which is laughter. And then our fifth one is, right, the counterbalance to laughter, which is crying. So of course, you've got a psychologist here. I'm going to endorse crying as beneficial because it really is. Um, 
So when it comes to dealing with stress after you've dealt with a stressor, so after you know, you've faced the challenge, uh, crying can be so helpful. It acknowledges the challenge of the situation. It says like, yeah, that was hard. That was painful. Um, it conveys compassion and empathy um, for what you've gone through. And it communicates like physical activity. It communicates to your body that you're safe. Like it's okay to lower the temperature. It's okay to lower those stress hormones. Uh, crying in response to the stress of a situation results in feeling uh, in a feeling of relief and of a weight being lifted from your shoulders. And if you think about challenging experiences in your life, um, can you think of examples where crying has been helpful, where it is a relief? Boy, that is so true for me. Um, and a lot of times it's crying after the fact, right? Like it's crying at the end of a day when I actually have a chance to kind of take a look at the situation that's been painful. And sometimes, right, it's hard to look at that before because it's still vulnerable and you still have to be, you know, performing or engaging and that sort of thing. And so it's, it's not untypical for me to have some tears, um, in bed and at night because it's 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 that um, it's kind of that safety valve in terms of okay yeah that was hard let's acknowledge that and let's try and understand it process it um, and in those times crying absolutely acts as a uh, as a relief right as a weight being lifted from our shoulders. So it doesn't necessarily mean that the stressor is absolutely resolved, but what happens is crying helps to strengthen our ability to cope with it because you've just done something to help you cope with the stress of that stressor, right? So crying really helps us to integrate big emotions, whether that's fear, whether that's hurt, whether that's feeling abandoned. And so it's a very important coping skill. And then the next coping skill, number six, includes distress tolerance skills. So this is a collection of skills that there's really good research support and has been found to be very helpful for helping us move through that stress response cycle and to lower that physiological response. So the first one I want to talk about is paced breathing. I'm pretty geeky about paced breathing these days. Um, It really helps to... um, it's it's really around polyvagal theory, which I definitely won't get into now, but it's very interesting. It's pretty geeky stuff. I love it though. Um, but pace breathing, so this deep diaphragmatic breathing that is timed can really help lower physiological arousal. It quiets the nervous system. It, like other coping skills, communicates to the body that it's okay. Um, because if you think about a stress response, when you're rising to a stress response, what happens? Your breathing gets shallow. It gets quicker. Um, you have more focus. Um, but that's not functional long term, right? It's functional when we are facing a challenge, but the pace breathing helps us to slow down. And so um, some popular forms of pace breathing include box breathing. Another name for that is square breathing or tactical breathing. And so if you just imagine a box 
along each side of the box, you take four counts. So I will just take you through this. So if you wanted to practice this, you could. Um, on the first side of the box is a four count inhale. On the second side of the box is a four count hold. On the third side of the box is a four count exhale. And then on the fourth side of the box is a four count hold. So that's one that's, there's a lot of research from yogis to tactical um performers like snipers um, that that can be very helpful but you could also do something simpler right you could just do a four to four count inhale and a five to six count exhale so if you have a longer exhale that's going to um, result in more of a relaxation response so just keeping that in mind. But even if you just did five count inhale, five count exhale, you'd be fine. Um, most of our watches or our phones have apps to help with this. And if you just did a few of these paced breathing sessions, like two minutes each, a few times a day, it could really help you manage anxiety and lower that stress response. So whenever I talk to people about breathing, it's like, Almost everyone rolls their eyes, whether they mean to or not. But I'm telling you, the pace breathing is incredibly helpful. So another distress tolerance skill include mindfulness activities. So meditation is a really easy one. It's not easy, but it's a good entry point um, because there are lots of meditation apps. You do 10 minutes a day. And what happens with mindfulness activities is they are designed to help you become a curious observer to your experience. So they bring you into awareness, into the present moment, which is the same thing that paced breathing does. So it brings you into the moment, but it also brings you perspective, right? So you're not stuck in your head with the with the ruminations or the worry, but you can be a curious observer to your experience. You can say, oh, like I'm pretty anxious right now. Um, I wonder what that is about. You can bring in perspective to say, I know it feels really upsetting right now, but this is gonna be okay, right? So one of the things from um, mindfulness is this too shall pass. And that's for good things and for bad things. So it feels like a big relief with, with if we're experiencing something that we would um, characterize as negative because it's like, okay, this feeling won't last forever. Like it'll settle down, but it can also be helpful when we are experiencing what we would consider a positive experience or a joyful experience. This idea of this too shall pass um, helps you to be fully present. It helps you to be grateful, to be like, I don't want to miss a moment of this. Um, so I'm going to be aware. I'm going to get rid of distractions. And so mindfulness is really powerful for helping us to to tolerate distress more effectively. And then the last skill with distress tolerance skills that I want to talk about today includes muscle relaxation. So you could do paced muscle relaxation. This works in a similar way to paced breathing and mindfulness activities. It's really designed to calm the nervous system and it, it kind of floods oxygen to your different muscle groups as you move through the paced muscle relaxation and then that tends to have a calming effect and so I think the best way to do muscle relaxation at least to start out with is you know if you have an app or a YouTube video that you could just follow along um, I think that that's a useful way to do it to have some guided muscle relaxation one of the um, apps that I have has um, muscle relaxation as part of it has breathing. I do pay for that, but there is a free version where you can kind of try out some of these distress tolerance skills and see what you think. But there are also lots and lots of free options um, online and on apps. 
So that is our sixth coping skill, which includes distress tolerance skills. That's a collection of skills. And then our seventh coping skill is creative expression. When I first saw this on the list, I was a little bit surprised, but then I was like, no, the more I thought about it, I'm like, no, that's actually really, really good. And so from the Nagoski sisters, this is again from the great book, Burnout. They say engaging in creative creative activities today leads to more energy, excitement, and enthusiasm tomorrow. And who doesn't want that? So why and how does this work? So if you think about sports and if you think about the arts, they create a context that tolerates and even encourages big emotions. So think about going to a sporting event, right? Like you have people that in their regular lives are like totally buttoned up, but then you see them at a sporting event and they're yelling and they're screaming and they're wearing their team colors. Maybe they have a wig, maybe they have cheese on their head. And it's like, what is happening? Has everyone lost their mind? It's like, no, like they're in a context that tolerates and even encourages big emotions. It helps us to cope. It helps us to integrate life's ups and downs. So if you think about the literary, visual, and performing arts, they give us the chance to celebrate and move through big emotions, which I just think is so cool. Uh, Creative expression becomes a safe place to put what you may feel unprepared to deal with otherwise. So I do some fictional writing, and I can tell you that that is so true for me. There are things that I will write in the safety of my manuscript that I wouldn't say out loud. Um, It helps me to integrate them. It, It gives me time to really consider what I think about them. So think about having a hobby or a passion away from work that engages your mind. Um, I think about, you know, I'm not much of a hobby gal, but I have like a couple of deep passions. Um, And when I think about some of those passions, they are time where I can think about everything or I can think about nothing. Like I can totally unplug um, or I can plug in to myself. And I absolutely love that. So there you go. Those are our seven evidence-based coping skills. So, right, we're talking about seven coping skills that bring true comfort. So again, number one is balance movement. Two is social connection. Three is affection. Four is laughing or laughter. Five is crying. Six includes distress tolerance skills. Seven is creative expression. And so I hope this is helpful for you. I hope that you have a great coping skill game in place already. And if you don't, I hope you will consider um, at least adding maybe like just one of these skills into your um, into your days and your week, right? It could be some paced breathing a couple minutes a day. That would be awesome. That would be a great step. Um, so don't feel like you have to do all of these because then you won't do any of them. Um, that's how that's how change works. Um, but consider maybe one thing that you heard that you'll say that that you'll act on, right? So maybe it's, you know what, I'm going to find an app that I could download for free and I'm going to try out some meditation. Um, Your future self will thank you. So in the meantime, head on over to my website to check out the show notes with all the great resources for this episode. You can do that at www.drmelissasmith.com forward slash 172-7 coping skills 
that work. Okay. We all want that, right? So one more time, that's www.drmelissasmith.com forward slash 172 dash seven, as in the number seven coping skills that work. C-O-P-I-N-G-S-K-I-L-L-S-T-H-A-T W-O-R-K. So I'd love to connect with you on Instagram. I will have all of these coping skills provided on Instagram at Dr. Uh, Melissa Smith. I'd love to connect with you there. I'd love your feedback, your thoughts, any recommendations that you have for topics you'd like me to address on the podcast. I would love to hear from you. And if you wouldn't take a Uh, if you wouldn't mind taking a minute to review the podcast, it really provides valuable feedback for me and it helps other people find the podcast. So um, hopefully that's a good thing. Uh, In the meantime, I'm Dr. Melissa Smith. Remember, love and work, work and love. That's all there is. Until next time, take good care. 